So what science group? All right, that's enough having fun. Let's get back here. So uh, when I was in junior high, my English class read a bunch of uh, short stories, most of which I, of course, promptly forgot. But one of them stuck with me uh, is by an author named uh, Richard Connell, and he had been, uh, this story he wrote has been called uh, the most popular short story ever written in English. And, and I can believe it because even to this day, uh, I still remember the basics uh, of, of the whole story. Uh, it was... Um, it was called The Most Dangerous Game. I don't know if some of you may have read that. It was written and took place back in the 1920s. You had this big game hunter uh, of some notoriety named uh, Sanger uh, Rainsford, and he was on a ship heading to South America so he could hunt, as he says it, the jaguar. And uh, during the night, he falls off the ship um, in a freak accident and, and is left and so he, he swims to some nearby island for safety. And on this island that he thought at first was, was this deserted island, he finds this beautiful chateau that's all built there. And, and two people were living in it, uh, two Russians, a general uh, named Zaroff, and then he had a, this gigantic deaf-mute servant named Ivan. And uh, the general uh, invites uh, Sanger to a delicious supper. And, and at that point, Rainsford asks for some help getting back in touch with civilization. He you know, got lost off my ship. Everybody probably thinks I drowned, and, and I need to, to get back to civilization. But Zaroff declines, and instead, he offers him an option. He says, either you have to agree to be hunted by me or... Uh, whipped to death by Ivan. Well, uh, Rainsford, you know, calls him a barbarian and, and you know, get into a big argument, but Zaroff uh, wouldn't uh, relent, and so finally Sanger uh, uh, agrees to be hunted by him. And he, Zaroff says nobody has ever eluded him, but if he can elude him for three days, then he would allow him to return to civilization. 
and he gives them a three-hour head start, and off they go. And um, most of the rest of the story deals with Rainsford's fears and, and anguish and, and doubts and worries as he is being uh, relentlessly pursued by this cunning and, and heartless uh, predator. Uh, his heart's pounding all the time. His nerves are frayed. He, he can't think straight. His, his mind's all consumed by this fact that, that this wily and experienced hunter is on his trail and after him. And, and at first, Rainsford, you know, tries to double back and make a bunch of false trails to try to throw him off, but nothing works. He just uh, continues to pursue him on and on. And he sets some traps uh, to try to get him. And he, he does end up uh, killing a couple of the hunting dogs and and. Ivan uh, 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 meets his demise in, in, in a trap and, and this type of stuff, but still, Zaroff continues to pursue him until finally Rainsford finds himself trapped at, at the edge of this gigantic cliff that, that falls down into the sea and, and this slope with the hunter following his trail, slowly coming up. Now, most of us... Uh, probably can't imagine what it feels like to be hunted. But the truth is, we should be able to. Because, see, the Bible tells us that we have an enemy, an enemy who is pursuing us, a murderer who really is out to get us. Now, I've been uh, doing this summer a, a series called Sermons by Request. Uh, people have been able to fill out a card says, man, I've always wanted to hear a sermon on. And the request that I uh, uh, got this week says, how much power has God given Satan? And how can we know more about the enemy? Um, we're going to look at a number of different verses as we try to answer that question, but I'm going to just read two of them as we get started this morning. And I do encourage you to, to look and find them in your Bible as well. Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, familiar verse, says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And the second verse I, I want to read comes from 2 Corinthians 2.11, where it says that, uh, I'm in the wrong chapter here, 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to worship together this morning. We're just thankful uh, for this great day that you have given us, for the freedoms that we enjoy here, to be able to openly and publicly worship, uh, for, a, for a group like uh, this new wine to be able to travel around and share the truth of the gospel uh, with various people. God, we know that's a, a freedom that we shouldn't take lightly. And so, God, we just uh, pray now your blessing upon this time as we look into your word. We pray that you would meet people where they are, that you would encourage, strengthen, or challenge as need be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to answer the, the second question that they asked first, just because it's easier. How can we know more about the enemy? And, you know, a lot of times I might encourage you to, to go uh, order a good Christian book online and, and read it that way, but not necessarily in this case. I mean, there are some good books out there on, on uh, Satan, but when it comes to Satan and demons and spiritual warfare and all that kind of stuff, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of 
of books out there that I would classify as kind of fruit looper, um, you, you know, uh, not, not quite so good. And, and, and therefore, our best bet, which, which obviously is true in most all cases, is just to go to straight to the source, the Word of God, because the Bible tells us what we need to know uh, about Satan. And, and rather than giving us a bunch of speculation about this and that and what might be, uh, it tells us what we should and need to know in order to deal with him. And, and so that's why I chose those particular verses I did to start the sermon with, because as Peter tells us when he says, you know, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. I mean, that, that lets us know something, right? To be on the alert implies that we can uh, see and identify how Satan is working. And, and then uh, uh, to be of sober spirit, in this particular case, that's, uh, that's not really speaking in, in opposition to drunkenness per se, but rather it's a description of how we should be thinking. Uh, the basic idea is that our minds and our spirit should think rightly and clearly. That's what it means to be a sober spirit. And, and we can know how Satan works. I mean, there, there are a lot of things besides drunkenness, that can cause us to not be sober in spirit, including things like just traumatic events we may have faced, fear, false teaching, or plain old ignorance. And the way to overcome uh, all of those things is to focus on the truth of what God has said. And, and Jesus very clearly told us uh, when, when he prayed to God on, on our behalf that night in which he was betrayed, he said that we would find the truth in God's word, right? He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So that's where we turn when we're seeking for knowledge uh, of what we need to know in this spiritual realm uh, against an enemy um, of, of Satan. So... That's how we can know more about the enemy, by looking specifically at what God's Word says, which, you know, seems obvious and, and, and uh, you know, nothing revelatory there. But, you know, it's not one of those things that we really like to do. I mean, how many times do you sit down at your Bible and say, I just want to find out more about Satan? You know, we, we don't do that. We, you know, we'd rather not think about him, not think about uh, that type of stuff and, and, and look at other things. But we, we should take time. We should be aware of that because as that verse we, we looked at in 2 Corinthians, we do that so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So in other words, <laughs> Satan is trying to take advantage of you. He, he is. That, that's, that's, that's his goal. That's, that's what he's working on. Um, and, and those schemes that he has uh, are actively in play against you. And, and so the easy way to thwart those schemes schemes is to not be ignorant of who Satan is and what he does and, and what his limitations are. And again, fortunately, the Bible, you know, it, it has a lot more to say about our enemy than maybe most people would uh, surmise because uh, uh, God wants us to know. So for the rest of our time here this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're going to look at some of those things. Hopefully we'll answer that question of how much power Satan has and, and maybe a couple of others as we go along here. And I think maybe the first thing that we need to make clear because of um, uh, some false teaching uh, in our world today uh, is that Satan is not the opposite of God. 
Satan is, is not the opposite of God. Some people and some religions uh, try to picture God and Satan as, as like these two cosmic beings of, of nearly identical power and attributes, only they just happen to be on opposite ends of the nisometer. You know, uh, God's really, you know, and that's, that is not true at all. Um, God has no opposite. Through the prophet uh, uh, Isaiah, God asks a, a rhetorical question about himself. He says, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. And most of the rest of Isaiah 40 is spent proving the obvious answer to that question that it's, it's no one. There is no one opposite or counter to God. There's no like or equal to God. God is a self-existing, eternal being who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. I mean, God's a lot of other things too, right? He's a God of love and good and mercy and, and so forth and so on. But those initial attributes I, I listed, those are what set him apart from any other being, right? Self-existing means that God was not created. He simply exists. No one made God, he just is. He is self-existing. And, 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 and eternal goes both directions, uh, right? Uh, it, it, it means that he always was and, and always will be. I mean, if you tried to set up a timeline with an arrow on both ends and you go as far back in, in history as you can go, no matter how far back you go, God's there. He always was. And no matter how far you go into the future, there'll never be a point where he is not. God is eternal, which we can't grasp because we're not. And so our brains can't really wrap around this idea, well, how could there not be a starting point? But with God, there was none. Omnipotent means there's no limit to his power. God never has to ask for permission, right? He's the one in charge. He has all power. He never has to ask for help. God does not need our help. Now, he chooses to use us, but he does not need our help. He is all powerful. And God is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere all the time. He does not exist in, in just one specific locale as we do as, as physical beings. Rather, he's always present everywhere in the entire universe. He's here with us this morning. If there's some group in, in some closed country meeting in the middle of the night, hiding, he's there with them. He is everywhere all the time. Wherever you go, God is there. And that's who God is. Satan is none of those things. None of them. He, he is a created being. Uh, the Bible tells us that he started off as one of God's angels, created before the creation of the earth and the universe and everything else. And apparently, he was one of the highest ranking angels. He was described by the prophet Ezekiel as being full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was adorned, it says, with the most precious of jewels, and he was given a position of importance by God. And, but then we're told about him, you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness 
was found in you. See, like, like every other angel that was created, Satan was created blameless, perfect. But at a certain point in time, unrighteousness, it says, was found in him. And from the prophet Isaiah, we know exactly what that unrighteousness was. It was, it was pride. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be equal with God or maybe even higher than God, seated above God. Satan declared his ambition with five I will statements that are found in Isaiah 14. He uh, says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit in the mount of the assembly uh, in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, in case you're wondering, that's the epitome of pride. To say that I will be like God. As a result, Satan was removed from his position in heaven, cast to earth. Jesus described that event in the Gospel of Luke like this. And he said to them, I was watching, and Satan fell from heaven like lightning. Um, and, and then uh, Satan apparently was a very dynamic leader as well because he didn't go alone. He gathered a large following of other angels in his rebellion uh, against God um, and his rule and his authority. And those angels also then lost their position in heaven, which, which is described in the book of Revelation for us in, in metaphoric and in poetic light, uh, language. Satan is depicted as a great dragon um, and the angels as stars. And it says this, and, and his tail, the dragon's tail, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And we have, we have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. God doesn't let us know how many angels he originally created. But from this, we can surmise that about a third of that total number chose to throw in their allegiance with Satan and follow him. And those angels, usually referred to in Scripture as now fallen angels, demons, uh, devils, um, they are portrayed as Satan's underlings doing his, his evil bidding. And the question for today deals specifically with Satan, not, not with the angel or demons, so we're not going to spend much time on that, but, but they do come into play when you're asking the question, how much power does Satan have, which we'll get to in a minute, but let's continue with this idea that Satan is not the opposite of God. He's a created being, therefore he is not eternal and self-existing as God is. He doesn't have the attributes of deity, he is not all-knowing, as God is, but he is incredibly intelligent. Now, there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that any of the angels, whether, whether fallen or not, can read your mind or know what you are thinking as God can. God knows your thoughts before you speak them, but that's never said of any of the created beings, of angels or, or demons. And, and so Satan... Uh, cannot know your mind or, or, or what you're thinking as God can, but Satan has been studying and observing humans since the beginning of creation. He has learned to spot tendencies and weaknesses in people. He knows men and women 
uh, what, what, how they commonly respond in various situations, and therefore he is able to predict with great accuracy what schemes and what techniques will most likely work and be most effective against you. So Satan may not be all-knowing as God is, but he knows a lot. Imagine how smart you would be if you had 6,000 years to study people. Satan is also not omnipresent as God is. As a created being, he can only be in one place at one time. Now, he's, he's a spiritual being rather than physical as we are, which likely means he can travel at a you know, high rate of speed, great distances very quickly. But even so, he is a created being, so he can only be in one place at a time, which is kind of nice. What that means is the likelihood of you ever being directly attacked or tempted by Satan is pretty slim, Right? I mean, with 7.7 billion people in the earth right now, uh, what's the odds that Satan's ever going to get around to you? You know, in, in this particular instance, it's kind of nice to be a nobody. Uh, but um, as we said earlier, Satan does have a host of fallen angels, demons, working to do his bidding. And so that's what makes it seem like he can be all over the place at the same time. Now, the Bible indicates that Satan and his demons operate like a, a well-oiled military machine. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we're, we're warned that uh, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which, by the way, we really need to make clear, we're going to stop the verse for a second, right? We need to make clear of that in our mind. Our struggle is not against what? People. People are not the enemy. Even, even people who deny God, even people who are, who are living lives in complete contradiction to the Word of God, uh, even people who could care less or just don't think about God, people are not the enemy. That, that's not who our battle is against. Even people who don't vote like you, they're not the enemy. Okay? <laughs> That's not the enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces uh, of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, right? Um, in the Greek, those terms, those, those rulers and powers and, and uh, world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickednesses, those are Greek terms of rank and, and, and organization. And so um, Satan is, is an organized and persistent enemy, and he has a lot of help. And again, as I said, we have no idea the exact number of demons, but the Bible indicates that there's hordes of them. So just to recap where we're at so far, Satan is a real and a personal being, although not a physical one, but a spiritual being. He was originally created good, but through pride has become the enemy of God and therefore the enemy of God's people. He does not have the attributes of God. He is not the opposite uh, of God. He is a, an opponent of God. He's against God, but he's not the opposite. He does not have 
the ability to know all things or to be present everywhere, and he is also not omnipotent, which is the question the person asked. How much power does Satan has? He is not all-powerful. Only God holds that title. But at the same time, he is very powerful. Exactly how powerful? Well, he's described like this in several different passages in the Bible. First John 5.10, speaking about Christians, says, We know that you are of God. If you're a Christian, we know that you are of God and that the whole world, the whole world, lies in the power of the evil one. In 2 Corinthians, in, in chapter 4, Satan is called the God, small g, God of this world. And in Ephesians, he is described as the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, meaning that Satan uh, and, and his evil spirits, the demons, are behind all acts of disobedience. On the night of his arrest, Jesus said this about Satan, and he said, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world. All of these descriptions indicate that right now, here on earth, Satan carries a great deal of authority and power. The ruler, the God, the prince. Jesus described him in John 10.10 as one who is a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is very effective in that mission. I mean, as you look around the world, you can easily see the, the grief and the pain that results either directly or indirectly from Satan's work. And people may often be the visible source of much of that trouble, but Satan is the invisible force behind all of that. And God, he does not want us to be ignorant, does not want us to be deceived concerning Satan or his um, uh, schemes against us. So we need to be aware that he is actively working. If you do not recognize that there is an invisible spiritual battle taking place against uh, us by a very powerful enemy, then you're setting yourself up for trouble. But I believe we also need to understand that God does not tell us these things about Satan in order to frighten us. He's not like the boogeyman that parents will use to scare their kids to stay in bed, right? He, he, he's not doing that. Instead, I believe there's two main reasons why the Bible gives us this information. The first is to warn us, right? We, we've all heard that main axiom of war, right? Uh, that uh, in order to be successful in battle, you need to know your enemy. And so we need to know, what is it Satan does? How does he work? And God, he, he not only wants you to know that, yes, in fact, you do have an enemy, but he wants you to be aware of his main tactics, what he does, so that you'll be able to recognize that in life and be successful in standing against that. So Jesus tells us of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's number one tool, right? He's going to lie. Now, how can you know if something's a lie? Only if you know what the truth is. That's how you can identify lies. So understanding and accepting all of God's word as the truth is, is the first paramount defense we have against Satan and his lies. The better you know the truth of God's word, the stronger you will be, a, be in standing against the schemes of the devil. That's why when God details the spiritual armor in, in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, that we need to put on and use in our, in our fight, in our efforts against uh, the schemes of the, uh, of the devil. The very first piece of armor he tells us to put on is the belt of truth. Truth, truth is, is paramount. And so Satan tells lies. Lies that say, God doesn't want you. You've messed up too bad. Lies that say you're unworthy. Lies that say people will only accept you because of what you can do or how you look. Satan tells all kinds of lies to try to enslave us. But along with lies, one of Satan's favorite tactics is to use pride. I mean, that was the sin that originally enslaved and ensnared him, right? And he uses that same tactic against people today. Perhaps a pride that says, I don't need God. I'm, I'm doing fine in life. I'm doing well, thank you very much. Or a pride that says, man has all the answers, right? We, we can solve all the problems that face us because man can build that utopian society that we all desire. We don't need God. We, we've got uh, science and education and innovation and, and, and hey, that's going to save us. It's pride. You know, the name Satan. By the way, does anybody know Satan's name? Satan's actually a title. Yeah, everybody, I can hear it. Nobody's really confident, right? Lucifer, right? Which is actually not true, by the way. Just telling you that. So the, uh, Lucifer is found in one verse in the Bible. It's a quick side note. Gary, I'm sorry about that. Quick side note. Okay, Lucifer is found in one uh, verse in the Bible in Isaiah. And, and it, in the Hebrew, the word means shining one. Okay, so it's a description. And, and when it was translated by Jerome in three whatever... Uh, uh, A.D., he was translating it into Latin and, and the Latin Vulgate Bible, and the Latin word for shining one is Lucifer. So he was just translating that. So then when they took from Latin and went into English, some brilliant guy decided not to translate it but just capitalize it and, and made Lucifer a name. But it's actually shining was what it means. Anyway, just, just for your fun. That's a freebie. You, you don't have to pay for that one. So the title, the name Satan, uh, means adversary, means opponent. It, it, it literally means one who resists. So everything that opposes God and his ways, that's a tactic 
that Satan is using. So, for example, you read about God in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Therefore, anything that brings confusion, contradiction, unrest, strife, right? That's not of God. That's of Satan. So you can take everything that the Bible says that God does, and therefore the opposite of that, since he opposes God, is what Satan does. So you can see his tactics, how cleverly, insidiously Satan tries to negatively impact our lives. Those are his schemes. And God gives us this information about Satan in order to forewarn us against those schemes. But I think the second reason he tells us these things is to encourage us to draw near to him because God then, as he tells us about Satan, we realize God is our only means of protection. Satan is cunning and powerful. He is stronger and smarter than we are. But he is no match for God. So we're told, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the order, of course, in that verse is very important, right? The, you, you have to submit to God first in order to have the power to resist the devil so that he'll flee from you. Every time we try to resist the devil on our own, I can do it. I can grit and bare my teeth. I'm strong enough. I got this down. I can handle it. We're setting ourselves up for a fall. And Satan will have the advantage and often trip us up. I can attest to that personally. I'll bet most of you can too. Satan may have thousands of years of information against the humans in his battle against us. He may have legions uh, of, of dark demons doing his bidding, yet the believer has absolutely no reason to fear him. In 1 John we read, But you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, by virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are from God. You are his child. You are his dearly loved uh, child. And, and you have Jesus Christ living right inside of you. So yeah, the power uh, of Satan, though it is great, though it is big, though it is far greater than our own power, it is not even close to being on par with God. Greater. Far, far greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So even though we are living in this world, knowing that we have a powerful enemy, a murderer who is on our trail, who is out to get us, who may have us trapped by a cliff into the sea as he's coming up the slope, he is not someone we have to fear. We have to know. We have to respect. We have to understand his schemes. But we can live with confidence and assurance of ultimate victory. We do have a strong enemy, but we have a much, much stronger friend in Christ.
Let's pray. Father God, it is good to, to understand and know these things about our enemy. And God, we, we pray that if there's anybody here who's been living in fear of Satan, of his demons, of what he can do, that God, that fear would be cast down this morning, laid at the foot of your cross. Because you are greater, far, far greater. And we have you within us. And we're assured of ultimate victory. So, Father, thank you that even though we have a cutting foe, we have greater resources on our side and therefore do not have to live in fear. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing our closing song? O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all 